Hey everyone, I'm Caitlin Barnard. And I'm Victor Gamow. In this series, we chat with software developers and technology leaders to tackle your biggest API connectivity challenges. Stay tuned to this episode for tools, tactics, strategies that will help you to take your distributed architectures to the next level. Let's begin. Today, I'm super delighted to welcome Chimnai Gekward from Epsigon to be my guest today. Chimnai, welcome. Thanks, Victor. It's good to be here. And uh, can you talk um, a little bit about yourself? Like what uh, what you do, uh, where you're coming from, what's the Epsigon is famous for? Yeah, sure. So I basically come from a software development background. I started off my career at Intel as a software developer. I was there for a few years, then moved around roles. I jumped from software engineering to application platform engineering to technical marketing engineering. And then I also did a bit of uh, product marketing. And now I'm a technical evangelist here at Epsigon. I'm based out of New York. Love the city. I think it's one of the best cities in the world. I live uh, also close uh, to New York. And when people ask me where I'm from, I usually say I'm from New York, even though I technically live in New Jersey, <laughs> but kind of lying from my view. So I can call myself also kind of New Yorker. Some people might disagree, but, you know, hey, that's going to hate. Uh, New York yeah. state of mind. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, essentially, Epsigon um, is an observability platform, and we help monitor applications running in Kubernetes and serverless environments. And uh, Epsigon started as a distributed tracing-based observability platform. And we can talk more about that uh, as we go further along. But that's what Epsigon does, essentially. That's, that's, uh, that's actually pretty cool. And uh, I think uh, these days, the observability and the health of uh, production systems is becoming more important when we're talking with engineers, we're talking with the builders, people who uh, build the systems and, uh, you know, want to make sure that the system stays up 24 by 7 and no one gets paged uh, in the middle of the night and things like that. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about these challenges. So see, I already, you know, call out some of the things that um, I remember from my uh, years when I was a consultant, when I work uh, with some of the teams where we're providing some production support. And that time it was just something different. You know, they only mm -hmm. called me as a developer uh, when the, something was really bad because there was a development team, we developed the code, we throw this um, over the fence, and the people need to support this. And we didn't care much about what they're going to be using for monitoring, how they're going to be alerted, and who will be on call, mm -hmm. and all these kind of things. And um, over the last you know, couple of years, maybe like the last 10 years or so, this situation has changed. How you see this over the years in your career? That's a great question. So uh, over the last 10 years, I have seen uh, two kinds of changes. The first one being on the architecture side of things. So essentially, what I mean by that is earlier, we had monolithic-based applications. Now we have microservices-based applications. So essentially, what that means is we have smaller applications who are, which are easy to manage, scale, and deploy. Uh, so that's a huge shift that I've seen over the last 10 years. And the other shift that I've seen is uh, developers versus a DevOps culture. And as you mentioned, uh, just developing the code and throwing it over uh, was kind of a thing back then. But these days, uh, you are responsible for your own code. You're responsible for monitoring the health of your own code. So the DevOps culture has clearly integrated in most of the companies these days. So those, I think, are the two major shifts that I've seen over the last 10 years. As many listeners know uh, that Kong is a cloud connectivity com company, and we really truly 
care about the, the connecting the applications through APIs, through all you know sorts of things, how distributed systems are connected. So that's why for us, it's also an important topic, how we can you know provide this uh, like connectivity, like electricity or water or even air for modern uh, digital enterprises. And the part of uh, observability and uh, monitoring to make sure that like uh, things are going smoothly, it's also important for um, for us, yeah. uh, for us as a company. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about um, um, Epsigon and uh, what do you do there, and like what's the product and how it helps to solve the problems that we just discussed, like these challenges that we um, uh, that we kind of like sum, sum up a little bit. So like traditional observability platforms were focused on monitoring uh, monolithic based applications. What I mean by that is the lo- logic of the code was within an application itself. So it was kind of easier to uh, moderate or monitor the applications itself. And they were also focused on infrastructure because back then infrastructure was very varied. So we had uh, virtual machines, we had dedicated servers, we had on-premises, we had in the cloud. So infrastructure was kind of varied. But these days, essentially, applications have gained more importance with the essence of uh, microservices coming to picture. And infrastructure is kind of becoming standardized. So you generally use a particular cloud provider or you generally use Kubernetes-based infrastructure. So Epsigon essentially came into picture when microservices revolution was kind of complete. And then we realized that, hey, there, there is metrics and there is logs. But those two are not really effective to troubleshoot applications in a microservices world. So what do yeah, we need usually, here? Usually we use logs only as a you know, like a last yeah. resort. Okay, so let's check the logs and see what's going on there. And we do have metrics, yeah. but those metrics might show some current state. For example, if uh, we see something is happening in production, but if we cannot reproduce this because it was a spike, how we can use this data? Like how they use these metrics to, to investigate? Like we probably need to do something better, right? So we need to um, yeah. kind of maybe find like a better the ways how we can connect logs and metrics. What do you think? Exactly. So that's where distributed tracing comes into picture. So essentially, imagine you have uh, an application which consists of thousands of microservices. Now, if a user request comes in, so for example, if a user comes to a website and clicks on a particular application, at most, he or she is touching a subset of those microservices and not all the microservices. So a trace essentially tells you the story behind a particular user action or a request. And that's where Mm -hmm. the problem might lie in. So for example, if a user is not able to, let's say, put an item into the cart and you have an error there, so distributed tracing helps you to pinpoint where exactly the problem is occurring, which microservices are responsible for that. And essentially, it helps to connect metrics and logs in that way. So we have a logs, we have metrics, and now we have a traces that allows us kind of like a combined best of the worlds of the historical data that provided by logs, metrics that show some immediate data, and traces that shows things, how they happened in progression in in time. So um, I have a a question then. Usually when we talk about metrics, we talk about uh, things that important, how we can choose or like uh, how people should think about which metrics are or the traces or all all this information is actionable. Some of the information is uh, actionable because there are some cases where you see high spikes of CPU, but like, okay, do I need to call my people who is in call right now? Or I see, you know, the something where my Kubernetes can handle, for example, auto-scaling, just spin up another instance of the application. So in this case, the load will be uh, gradually distributed across things. 
So can you talk about this? Like, it, it's not like a technical question. It's more like architectural and more like the cultural question. Like what the, how you would approach or like what kind of advice you provide to people about which metrics are actionable, impactful for business. And all what we do is, is essentially serving the business. And we need to make sure that the business yeah. continue to run. How you think about this and how the apps are going to help uh, to think about those things, like a, like a business-related metrics and actionable alerts or uh, actionable items that happened in the systems? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so essentially, we have a lot of customers who work in different industries, such as construction or fashion or music. And uh, for them, one of the most important things is revenue. And it's right? uh, actually so, very, very uh, representative in New York. You see a lot of construction, yeah. <laughs> you see fashion and music. That's, that's what you see in New York. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, we get to uh, work with a lot of cool customers, that's why. But yeah, so essentially at a business level, you have a particular list of KPIs defined based on your service level agreements. So SLAs are important and then you define your KPIs and the KPIs might be as, as simple as how much of the time the website is up. So that's a very simple KPI. And then you need to kind of figure out uh, the engineering team or the CTO needs to figure out what does it take to keep the website up? So what are the components required in that? And then you can actually define which metrics are important. So for example, if you're using AWS's DynamoDB as your backend database, then you need to figure out how much requests, request time is being taken to fetch data from DynamoDB. So that might be one of your important metrics. So it depends on case by case basis, but like business level metrics definitely define engineering metrics. And then the flow goes on at the end. Can you talk a little bit about some of the uh, most exciting uh, use cases that you work in uh, in your work uh, when you're meeting with customers or, uh, you know, your, your colleagues and meeting with customers and, you know, the, the great things that you can talk about. Can you talk a little bit about some of the like cool use cases that you've seen? Maybe, you know, collection of some like weird uh, the languages and uh, that application is written. You know, there was have a ton, thousands of uh, microservices that some of them written in some of the languages that you never heard. Yeah, so we had, uh, so like one of, the, one of the cool things again, as we discussed was different industries and they have like so varied use cases. And most of them uh, were doing the transition from being monolithic to being microservices in the recent mm -hmm. years. So for them, uh, monoliths were, so it's, it's a huge mindset shift, right? Moving from monoliths to microservices. And generally people don't really uh, jump directly to serverless functions. They generally take uh, an intermediate step, maybe move, move to containers and run monolithic applications in containers. It kind of becomes hard to monitor monolithic applications within containers. We can definitely do that. But the ideal case would be running microservices within containers. So mm -hmm. uh, one of our customers, for example, uh, did this huge transition and it required a lot of engineering resources and they were not seeing the results. So they did not see the transition from monolithic to microservices to their benefit. They were seeing a lot of uh, website downtime. They were seeing a lot of database downtime and they did not know what, what was happening essentially. And they were also using Ruby, which is not the most commonly used language in cloud these days. So it was essentially, uh, for us, it was essentially a challenge to uh, figure out what exactly is going on. It was basically uh, trying to figure out two things, the technical challenge of monitoring Ruby applications, as well as helping the customer understand that their transition from monoliths to microservices is an effective one and they should go that route. So we kind of uh, help them uh, observe their entire architecture and their um, platform. So because of us, their troubleshooting time was kind of reduced by 25%, which was a huge number for them. 
and mm-hmm. uh, they kind of got convinced that microservices is the way to go, and then they they stuck with AppSecOn as well. So, uh, since we're on this subject, so can you talk a little bit about what it takes to say we have a two services, one written in Ruby, another PHP, and maybe third one written in Java? What it takes to install um, integration with AppSecOn? Like, is it require some sort of agent, or those agent needs to be? aware about the language that they're running or it's like some sort of like generic agent that monitors traffic and applies some of the heuristics to extract like information from the thing so can you talk a little bit about how does it work and uh, what it takes to enable this in uh, in your application yeah sure so that's the part that you're talking about is basically instrumentation and it is language specific so Epsagon supports a bunch of languages such as Node, Go, Java, Python, etc. So right now we have seen a wave of no-code, low-code applications or architecture coming up. And Epsagon definitely supports that kind of motion. So we essentially believe in low-code implementation. So for, for you to uh, instrument your application, it just requires like four or five lines of code and then you're good to go. So um, they need to use a library. And uh, recently I started uh, watching some of the, uh, the videos about like a popular physics uh, with my son. He's only six, but he's quite interested in quantum physics for some reasons. He's like when we're driving somewhere or like we're seeing Washington. Let's watch this, the video about quantum physics. And in quantum physics, there is a paradox of the observer. So when there's some experiment is happening, usually with even observer, um, you know, watching something, it actually might affect because uh, the, the experiment. Uh, usually it happens on the, it doesn't happen on the macro level, it happens on the, on the micro level or nano level, right? You know, when they we're talking about particles and there's the famous uh, experiment when we are you know, shooting electrons through the, through the grid and uh, if we're putting some detector that detects the fly of the electron through, the, uh, through this grid, this actually affects the experiment. The same thing is also people talking about the, the shredding experiment when, you know, observer can affect um, results of the, if the cat will be dead or alive. So with this regards, so we were instrumenting our code, we're providing some library for our application to measure performance. What's the impact of implementing these things or like uh, having these libraries in our application that would be, you know, impact on our performance and uh, who's going to be watching for a watcher or stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So again, uh, earlier, generally people did not care about the agents, CPU or memory consumption because they were using on-premises data centers and stuff like that. So the cost was not much, but now since you're running almost everything in the cloud, uh, the cost of CPU and memory is definitely high. And Epsagon is kind of cognizant of that. So once we instrument our, uh, the application, the cost of CPU or memory usage uh, is just about uh, 1% to 2%. So it's not mm-hmm. much. Even with the fact that we don't do any sampling, uh, sampling is like the biggest consumption of CPU or memory uh, resources. So we do sampling at our end, and it does not affect mm-hmm. the customer's environment. So that's something we were uh, cognizant about when we designed uh, our application. And uh, what about like a network? Because you either need to like uh, um, submit all requests or like uh, come with some like smart batching strategies. So the yeah. um, information about the so and also you you don't want to batch too long. So in this case, information would be not super real time and things like that. It's a trade off, I understand. But like what uh, what's what's you feel? What uh, what how the users feel about this and. In general, what's your recommendation? Yeah, so uh, we actually did uh, a very basic uh, cost analysis for the network data that you sent. uh, For example, you need to send metrics data to Epsagon or you need to send 
uh, certain trace data to Epsigon. And the cost essentially is in uh, tens or at the most uh, lower hundreds. So it's not, it's not very significant. It's minimal to the customer as compared to what observability brings to their entire application. Yeah, makes sense. So in, um, since you mentioned the cloud and the things that people are moving more and more workloads there, and spe specifically also like application logic, how you approach the, the question of monitoring this kind of like a serverless, like a function as a service type of applications, Lambda, Google Cloud Functions, and something maybe like a custom implementation. I don't know, like a, someone might be running some open whisk or something like that. Yeah, that's a great question again. So uh, Epsicon started with uh, monitoring Lambda applications. So mm -hmm. our complete focus when we started back in 2018 was Lambda applications. And all you need to do is essentially just integrate your AWS environment and that's mm -hmm. it. You don't have to worry about anything else because we specialize in monitoring Lambda applications. We have like a dashboard and we have a function screen, which essentially tells you if there are any exceptions, what's the cost associated with Lambda functions. So it's very uh, serverless focus. And recently we also started uh, supporting a lot of Kubernetes and container applications. So it's a combination of both essentially. Jimnai, um, last words for our listeners. Oh, I'm excited, super excited about where the industry is going in terms of micro microservices and observability. Uh, so I really wish uh, all of you can, uh, if you're not really into the microservice world, please hop onto it. And also, please feel free to check out Epsigon. I believe that observability should do the work for you, not the other way around. And uh, with that, uh, I would like to say thank you to all the listeners. And uh, we will definitely include some links uh, to things that uh, uh, I mentioned here, as always. My name is Viktor Gamov, and have a nice day. Thanks to everyone out there for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast using your favorite application so you don't miss a new episode. Don't forget to drop us a comment if you have any questions for today's guests or if there's a topic you'd like to see us cover in the future. For more content from today's guest, you can join us on YouTube to see demo segment from this episode of Concast. We'll see you next time.